Welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry. Jesus once told Satan that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We invite you to study the scriptures with us to learn about the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our pastor is Mr. Jeremy Visser from Brooks, Georgia. You can contact us with your questions and comments at covenantpeoplesministry.org or simply write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia 30205. If you desire, you can also follow us on YouTube and Twitter. We would like to hear from you, and we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that His will will continue to reign upon us all. Once again, welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry, and here is Pastor Visser with our next Bible study. Hello again, faithful listener. Thank you for joining me this Sunday morning as we look into the life of Jesus Christ. Indeed, if you've been following along with us here in Brooks, Georgia, you'll know that we began this particular study, Lessons from Luke, taking a look at the great physician himself, the beloved physician according to Scripture, and we gave an outline into who it was that the Apostle Luke was, and not only that, the things that he taught or transcribed within his gospel that are not found anywhere else. Now, we followed that up, of course, with a sermon titled, The Youth of Jesus Christ. And in that, I looked at a few of the works that are attributed to the young Yahshua Messiah at ages 7 from the Gnostic text, or the uh, Gospel of Infancy 1, and also when he was 12 from the Gospel of Luke, when his parents found him in the Temple of Jerusalem. Now, one of the interesting things about that was, We proved when we taught the Gospel of Luke this year that it was Jesus Christ who spent five days straight in the Temple of Jerusalem, right before he was to be crucified, before his arrest, his unfair trial, and his death sentence was pronounced. But what I was able to point out in last Sunday's sermon was that he also, as a youth, would have been found for five days within that same temple. For example, Mary and Joseph went a day's journey before they discovered that Jesus Christ would have been missing. One day. Then they took a day's journey back to Jerusalem. That would have been two days. And they spent three days within Jerusalem before they finally found the young Yahshua Messiah in the temple of Jerusalem, asking questions and answering questions that were given to him, making, once again, five perfect days. So as I pointed out in that particular sermon, the youth of Christ, everything usually, scripturally, comes full circle. And each and every one of us will reap what we sow. I mentioned within that particular sermon that I believe Jesus' birth would have been intricately linked with his death. But yet, this was just one more confirmation. At the age of 12, when Jesus Christ was in the temple, he wasn't perceived as much as a threat as he would have been when he came through the second time in his early 30s. But that being a side note, how does somebody like myself tackle the subject matter, the life of Christ, without it going in to another 30-part series? Because the life of Christ is something that's extremely expansive. Well, we know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in addition to the New Testament epistle writers, give an in-depth look into the life, 
the birth, the miracles, and all of the things that Yahshua Messiah had done. Well, if you remember, I mentioned in my sermon, the beloved physician from this same series, that between chapter 9, verse 51, and chapter 19, verse 27, that would be considered Luke's special section. Those chapters would be where Luke put in all of the additions that he wanted the faithful remnant to understand. Now, some of them have similarities. Some of the accounts that are transcribed could be found within Mark or John. However, Luke's take is entirely different. So, the purpose of this Sunday morning sermon is to look at Luke's special section alone. That way I can bring forth many of the things that Yahshua Messiah taught and are found only in this gospel. Now, many of us are well familiar that St. Luke chapter 19 verse 27 is the end, we could say, of the parable of the unjust steward. And indeed, that is found only within the gospel of St. Luke. We covered that this year, and we're going to get to it just a little bit this morning. But Luke's additions begin in St. Luke chapter 9, verse 51, where Jesus Christ is rejected by the Samaritans. Now, the interesting thing about this is this is where Luke is putting in the things that aren't found in the other three Gospels. Now, one of the things that Luke does teach that's not found within the other Gospels is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, interesting of note is he begins teaching on the Samaritans. Verse 51 says, It came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem, and sent messengers before his face. And they went, and they entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. Who? Yahshua Messiah. And they, who? The Samaritans. The Samaritans did not receive him, because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. Now, coming right out the gate, I want you to understand, A, who the Samaritans were. The Samaritans would have been considered half-Israelite and technically half-Canaanite. But either way, they would not have been pure-bred Israelites. Now, was Jesus Christ going to teach universalism? Or was Jesus Christ, like usual, trying to make a point? (laughs) Well, of course, it would be the latter. And that's brought forth so eloquently from his same parable of the Good Samaritan. It wasn't as if Jesus Christ came in and said, all of a sudden, Samaritans can come under the covenant and they can become partakers of the kingdom. Rather, we know from Scripture that the Judeans had very few dealings with the Samaritans. The Samaritans and the Israelites would keep themselves separate. However, it was our Redeemer, Yahshua Messiah, who came unto His own, and His own received Him not. And that's the point I really want people to take away from this series on Luke. Yeah, we can point fingers at Rome or the Jews and say they murdered Christ, but when it's all said and done, Yahshua Messiah willfully laid down His life. Now, we cannot blame a serpent for being serpentile, no more than we can blame a dog for doing dog-like things. Hear me, dear kinsfolk. Jesus Christ came to hold Israel to a higher standard. Why? Because unfortunately, then, just like now, there are people who come under the covenant, they are Israelites, at least racially, and they use that 
as a cloak of maliciousness, or even worse oftentimes, they use the fact that they are Israelites. They use their pedigree to not exercise the golden rule. To not do the things that Jesus Christ and the Old Testament prophets taught concerning His coming and concerning what we must do as Israelites, what we're called to do. For example, Scripture says we know the children of the devil murder. In that we know they are the children of Belial. However, the children of Yahweh God cannot sin, and their seed remains within them. So there's one such key. Those who are in habitual sin are not Israelites. Those who do at least strive to obey what Jesus Christ taught would be considered the sons and daughters of Yahweh God. So, he begins his special editions by saying, well, the Samaritans didn't accept Jesus Christ because he had set his face towards Jerusalem. A polite way of saying that Yahshua Messiah would be making his trek towards Jerusalem. And indeed he did. He began his ministry in Galilee and he went outward as if a ripple effect. He'd go into the land of the Gadarenes. He would go into the land of the Samaritans. All the while making his trek back to Jerusalem. And I say back, of course, because we already covered how Jesus Christ would have been there during the festival of the Passover weekend at 12 years old, found within the temple, to which he would retort to the Virgin Mary, who says, your father was worried, I must be about my father's business. I must be about what Yahweh God commands. Why would he say that? Is it because he's merely only the Son of God or because he is a Son of God? I personally, in my judgment, believe it's the latter. Because Jesus Christ came to provide an example. To show you how to persevere and to overcome the flesh. In fact, that would have been one of the integral themes of Luke's Gospel because it was Luke who was a medical doctor. And I think I already pointed out that Luke, teaching us how to live a fruitful and a healthy life, how to be blessed of Yahweh God, taught that in order to do that, we must pray continually and adhere to the law. So time and time again in Luke's Gospel, we see that he straightforwardly says, Miriam observed the law. Joseph observed the law. Even to a lesser extent, Herod and Pilate observed the law and most assuredly, observed God's will for them. Granted, they were vessels of dishonor, but that is the key. In short, what good does it do you to say, hey, I'm an Israelite, if you're not going to exercise the golden rule? If you're not going to do what Israelites are called to do? Now, there are they who will come in and they will split hairs and they will say, well, the law was given to Israel, therefore, if somebody goes out and they murder a non-white, that's okay too, right? <laughs> Doesn't work that way, dear kinsfolk. When it comes down to the aspect of murdering, it is considered to be, in the Greek, phonions. The thought of murder, not the act of murder. But that may be a study for another day. Luke, again, begins his special editions by saying Jesus was rejected by the Samaritans. And this is briefly touched upon in the Gospel of John, chapter 4, and also, much later, in Luke's own book, Acts, chapter 8, around about verse 5. Then from there, he goes into Jesus' lessons on retaliation. Also, proving that Jesus Christ would test the discipleship of those who would follow him. 
He would say unto one person, follow me. And that particular person would say, well, I've got something else to do. I need to go bury my father. I need to go and bring in the harvest. And Jesus Christ would say, well, then you're not fit to follow me. The teaching behind that is, when you're called, what do you do? Do you sit back and say, well, I'm an Israelite. I don't have to do anything. All Israel saved, after all. Or, do you do what you're told? For example, each and every one of us are going to hear that call. What do you do when you hear truth? You can reject it. You can even pervert it, defame it, and slander it in an attempt to try and justify your own erroneous belief. But, when it's all said and done, each and every one of us will have our discipleship tested. Now he goes into the 70 being ordained at the very beginning of chapter 10. He sent out 70 and he told them, Go your ways, I send you forth as lambs among the wolves. Don't carry a purse, nor a script, nor shoes, and salute no man in the way. Why would that be? Because you're supposed to be about your father's business. For example, there's a great difference in going into a house of ill repute to bring them out, as opposed to going into a house of ill repute, hanging out, and justifying it by saying, well, Jesus Christ dined with sinners and publicans. If you are about your father's business, then Jesus Christ will reward you amply. But if you're not, well, the irony is you're not fooling anybody except yourself and maybe a few women laden with sins. He also told you about the reception and the conduct of the Israelite people. For example, Christ says in chapter 10 of Luke's Gospel, beginning in verse 5, Into whatsoever house she enter, first say, Peace be unto this house. Very important aspect. If you come into a person's house and you're being an unruly bastard, well, chances are pretty good that the people who live in that house are going to become defensive. Meaning, you already pulled the carpet out from under your own position. You get more flies with honey than you do vinegar. So common sense should dictate you, when you're going into a house, you're going to lead by example. Not by how much book smarts you have. Why? Because the Pharisees did that. The Pharisees knew the law of God. They knew it well enough that they could pervert it. They could come in, they could say, hey, thou shalt not kill, and at the same time conspire with the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin to put Yahshua Messiah to death. They didn't live it. And that was the entire point of Luke's gospel. It does you zero good to talk a good game, like so many of us do, if you're not going to do what you're teaching. Practice what you preach, in short. Well, peace unto this house. And if the Son of Peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. If not, it shall turn to you again. Meaning, that if they're Christians, well, you'll be welcome there. If they're not Christians, then no amount of kvetching, crying, and protolizing is going to open the door and suddenly make somebody say, Hey, you know what? Pastor Visser's correct. And I've lived this, dear kinsfolk. Understand, I became CI in 1993. So, a little over 21, almost 22 years. And in that time, I have not seen a single person that was not drawn of Yahweh God first to seek the truth, suddenly, in the course of a debate, say, hey, you know what, Pastor Visser's correct, I'm going to go with him. I'm going to go with the Bible. When Scripture says every man walks in the name of their God forever, he means it. 
there is nothing you can do about it. So Christ tells you how to discern the reception and conduct. Verse 7, In the same house remain, eating and drinking such things as they give. For the laborer is worthy of his hire. Once again, let me repeat that for you, dear kinsfolk. Yeshua Messiah said the laborer is worth his hire. In reference to just general disciples who walk around and they teach the word of God. You've heard me preach this time and time again. That if we do not support the truth tellers, Yahweh's own ministers, there will reach a point where those ministers silence their mouth and there is no more truth within the land. Jesus Christ says the laborer, not the pastor, not the tent maker, but everybody who labors is worthy to be paid for the labor they do. And it was no different for Jesus Christ as he walked. But in short, understand the concept. Many people who listen to this message, and it's probably at least 1,500 per sermon, when they're released, maybe a half a percent send support. Actually pay the preacher for preaching the Word of God. But that being a side note, in short, Christ wants you to know, whatever it is a person does, if you take your car to an auto mechanic and he fixes it, you better pay him. Because he provided a service. If you go to a church and the pastor preaches an edifying sermon that you've learned something from, then you should make good with that same pastor. The laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from house to house. One more key for you Jehovah's Witnesses out there who may be listening. Nowhere in the Holy Bible does Jesus Christ command people to go door to door, knocking and trying to sell Jesus Christ to the masses. At no point. In fact, Christ here is commanding to not go door to door. Much like the Jehovah's Witnesses and other little cliques do. When it's all said and done, the entire teaching of Scripture is, My sheep hear my voice. I will lead them. I will draw them, Yahweh God says. Meaning, once again, that you can't convince somebody of the CI truth. Only Yahweh God can. Your job is to have your ducks in a row so that when they come to you, when Yahweh God leads them to you, you can lead by example. Not by having a head full of book knowledge. Because the two rarely meet. It's okay to have the wisdom of the Word of God, but what good does it do you if you don't exercise it? For example, you hearing this message, if you go out tomorrow and you suddenly start going door to door trying to sell Jesus Christ to the masses, don't be shocked when you have to face the ramification of that, the judgment for that. Why? He said right here, do not go from house to house. Not only that, Verse 8 of St. John chapter 10. And into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. If they receive you, being the qualifier. If they don't receive you, you shake the dust off your feet and you go to the next one. Go to the next one. But it does you no good to try and thump somebody over the Bible. And on a side note, I will tell you this from personal experience. I have found over the years that it is easier oftentimes to reach an atheist or somebody who's not so inundated with dogma, so brainwashed with doctrine, than it will be to convert, say, a Catholic over to becoming dual seed line. 
or trying to convert a Baptist into recognizing that they themselves are Israel. Here in the South, many of our people are unfortunately very simple-minded, and they don't know, nor can they see beyond what they've been taught. For those particular people, you, as the teacher, or you as the called, need to at least use tact to be as wise as serpents, harmless as does. Understand that we also are to be about our Father's business, just like the young Yahshua Messiah at 12 years old in the Temple of Jerusalem. Now, Yahshua, in chapter 10, foretells his own rejection. He says this, Into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you not, go your ways out of the streets of the same, and say, Even the very dust on your city which cleaveth on us, we do wipe off against you. Notwithstanding, be ye sure of this, that the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. <laughs> now, right about there, the natural man's going to come in and say, See, the word of God's not true. That was spoken 2,000 years ago. Now, what was said? Did he say God came upon you and that city's going to be demolished? Or did he say this? That the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. Meaning, through those same disciples that Jesus Christ sent out. That is the kingdom message. That is what we as men, women, and children of Yahweh God, aspire to do. And that is, to bring the kingdom of God nigh unto each and every one of us. Why? Because it is world without end. Jesus Christ taught us to pray our Father who art in heaven, first and foremost, hmm, Father, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of heaven is right here on earth. It's all around you, just as Jesus Christ taught in the Gospel of Thomas. But that, of course, may be a study for another day. Jesus Christ knew full well that he would be rejected, and I briefly touched on that during his youth. During his youth, he knew that even the other children that were his age would reject him, because he possessed powers that they did not. But is that any different from you and I, dear listener? Not really. Because the reality of it is, each and every one of us possess even greater powers than Yahshua Messiah had. That may be a study coming forth next year in 2015, but it's something I want you to understand. Now, if you were to say that to your average Judeo-Christian, they would call you a blasphemer. How can you say that you can do greater miracles than Jesus Christ? I can say that because Yahshua Messiah himself attested to it. Walking and believing in the things that you see is less a work of faith than believing in the things that are unseen. And by unseen, I don't mean invisible. I mean unseen by the rest of the world. The things that are created of Yahweh God are clearly seen by His creation. So we understand it. We can see the intricacies of birth. We can look at nature and trees and the seasons and year in and year out, time continuing on, and know that Yahweh God's hand is behind it. But the foolish man, well, they always seek to circumvent it, to justify it, or to explain it away, as if anything that requires faith can be explained away through logic. Simply does not happen. Christ also, in Luke's special section, rejoiced over the simplicity of truth. He would say, All things are delivered to me of my Father. And no man knoweth who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is but the Son. 
and he whom the Son will reveal. The Son, not Yahweh God. But Jesus Christ will reveal all of these things to his saints. All those to them that he calls. Now, he also deals with a lawyer who comes in and questions him. But the part I really want to get to is right beyond that. And it's found in St. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 30. You've heard me preach this before. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Or we could just say, the true neighbor. Christ wants to know, who was this man's neighbor, this Israelite, who was beaten and bloodied on the side of the road? Now you may have heard me preach this, I believe, in part 33 of the Gospel of St. Luke this year. But we're going to cover it very briefly this Sunday morning. Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now Christ sets the stage for you, if you will, very simple. But here's a man, and of course we're dealing with an Israelite because that's the context. He went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So he was making that trek, as so many Pharisees and Sadducees would do. As his own mother and father would do the Passover weekend when Jesus Christ was but a youth and aged 12 years. Verse 31. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, the priest is walking by, and here's an Israelite who got robbed. They stole his coat, here rendered garment. They beat him down and they left him here, half dead. We could just say that this man was beaten, robbed, and thrown to the side. Discarded, if you will. But not an act of respect. And when a certain priest, a priest of Jerusalem, one of those same high priests that would be making the trek between Jericho and Jerusalem, when he saw him, what does he do? He passed by the other side. He said, ooh, I don't want to dirty my hands. Next verse. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at that place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was and saw him and had compassion on him. Keyword, compassion. The Levite didn't have compassion, and he was an Israelite of the tribe of Levi. The priest didn't have compassion, and he would have been one who taught that aspect. To do good to those in general. Because after all, the golden rule was found within the Mosaic law. Christ isn't saying the covenant is suddenly opened up to any half-breed. He's not saying that it's open to any Samaritan who believes. But what he is doing is teaching the Israelites through a parable that it does you no good to know the word of God like the priest or to know your racial pedigree like the Levite If, when you're called of Yahweh God to do good, you don't do it. Moreover, even worse, you walk to the other side and leave your fellow man beaten and bloodied on the side of the road. Thank you for listening to the Covenant People's Ministry broadcast. If you have enjoyed hearing the message of the gospel and would like to be a part of our fellowship or receive quarterly newsletters where you can order Pastor Visser's CD sermons, Be sure to write to us at CPM, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. You can also visit us on the web at covenantpeoplesministry.net, where our extensive audio section features numerous broadcasts, or you can easily listen to Pastor Visser by Godcast through your mobile audio device. 
Our sermons and videos are made possible by your tithes and offerings. If you wish to support this ministry, make checks or money orders payable to Covenant People's Ministry. Your donations help us to reach the lost sheep of the house of Israel, wherever they may be found. Remember that Jesus Christ is our all, and is in all that have been renewed in His Holy Spirit. So we hope that you will allow Him to lead your life and help to build His church, so that when He returns, you will find faith upon this earth. We urge you to be a living example of Christian faith and apply His words to your lives. It has been a pleasure to have you with us, and now we will return to Pastor Visser's Bible study message. Now in this analogy, he goes on. He says, Not only did the Samaritan have compassion upon him, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, sent him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took two pence and gave it to the host, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Do you understand the analogy? Whatever it costs above and beyond, but I'm leaving. Now, the innkeeper could have easily said, Hey, we had to pay for this and that in your absence. (laughs) But yet, that's not what the narrative says. The narrative straightforwardly says, Whatever this Israelite requires, the Samaritan would have paid for. Would have made good the debt. In essence, what we're seeing here is the symbology of what Jesus Christ would do. Pay the debt above and beyond each and every one of us through his sacrifice. Pay the debts for the sins. Pay the debts for even the Levite and the priest who walked by. Now, will they be forgiven? Who knows? Is this even a literal analogy? Most likely not. But what Christ is teaching is that these people knew better and they didn't do it. And along comes a Samaritan and does good. So which one's his neighbor? (laughs) Very simple analogy. Because there are those who come out and they say, well, neighbor means plario, it means race. And they're correct in that. But Christ isn't saying a neighbor is specifically somebody who happens to be the same stock as you. A neighbor is anybody, who is an Israelite, who does the deeds of their father. He would tell the Jews, you do the deeds of your father, the devil. The lust of your father ye will do. The lust of the Jew's father is to be disconcerned with other people. Have no compassion, no sympathy, or even empathy. But yet that's not the way of the Israelite. So I guarantee you, when it's all said and done, the Samaritan would have found favor with Yahweh God. Is he in the kingdom? Well, the narrative doesn't say that, does it? But Yahweh was more pleased with the Samaritan than the Levite and the priest. And that's what you need to take away from the parable of the Good Samaritan. More pleased because he did what was commanded, unlike the other two. Now, why am I spending so much time here? Because I really want you to understand that these behaviors still exist today. There are those who come in and they say, Hey, you know what? I can preach a good game. I can tell you what this word means in Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. And seemingly on the side, all they do is slander, defame. They can't even exercise the very simple golden rule that Jesus Christ taught. And that is, do unto others as you'd have done unto you. You, as an Israelite, are supposed to conduct yourself around other Israelites as if you were doing everything for him, for yourself, 
and knowing, having faith, that those good works will be rewarded. Not necessarily by the man, but by Yahweh God, who sees in secret and rewards in secret. This would be why Jesus Christ says, Store for yourself treasure up in heaven, not on earth where moth and dust corrupt, but in heaven. Because if we live our life that way, and we know that we are trying to obtain part of that kingdom for ourselves, then there won't be any question as to what we do when we're walking, especially on the way to the temple of Jerusalem, and we see a fellow Israelite who just got robbed, beaten, and is penniless. Christ taught that it is better to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, than to have a head full of knowledge that you don't exercise. What is the knowledge given you of Yahweh God for, dear listener? Is it so you can go out and judge another pastor and say he's wrong? Or is it so that you're equipped enough to know how to please God, not the devil, in the process, through accusations, through slander? It is Satan who's considered the accuser of our brethren. Therefore, anybody who spends all their time accusing is born of Satan. And I can prove that, dear kinsfolk. <laughs> it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure it out. In short, what I want you to understand from Luke and his special additions is this. Live it. Don't talk it. Do it. Don't just believe it. Obey and don't try to understand it. A million and one men out there try to understand the thoughts of God, which Scripture says His thoughts are unknowable, unobtainable. And through their trying to know the thoughts of God, they try to recreate and redefine Yahweh God in their own image. Scripture attests to that. Where certain men will come in and create God in their own image and say, are you not altogether as filthy as we are? Well, that's what men do. And that's why sometimes it's very dangerous for you to try to understand why Yahweh God command you not to eat particular things or to not to engage in particular behaviors because you're never going to fully understand any of the things he commands until you abstain from them. Until you actually obey his commandments. How can I say that from experience? I'm the only one in my entire family, at least growing up, who followed the food laws. Now that it's been over two decades, almost every single member of my intermediate family is obese, dying, because they chose to eat slop. That's just one simple example. And yet, here I am, still healthy and still slim. God knows what's best, and sometimes you do not understand until retrospect. We prove that from the Gospel of Luke. That Mary didn't understand at the point Gabriel was saying you're going to conceive. She didn't understand when he was 12 years old in the temple of Jerusalem. But she fully understood, as did all of Jerusalem and all the Israelites that were round about, when the veil of the temple was rent to, when the sky was darkened, when they heard a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. They understood then. But that would have been 30 years after the fact. What would have happened if Mary and Joseph would have said, hey, you know what? I choose not to believe because I don't understand. So, while you may be new to the faith and you may be coming into it and there may be things within the Gospels that you don't understand, my advice is this. Look for an answer in meekness or put it on the shelf and meditate upon it for a while. Pray to Yahweh God for an answer and I guarantee you that Yahweh God will provide that answer. Now, 
Continuing on through a special section very quickly, because it looks like time is running down on us, Christ taught on prayer, and he said that prayer was the only teacher. He gives us the model prayer, and you've heard me cover that time and time again. Go back to the Gospel of St. Luke, part 35, if you want to hear that taught in depth. But one of the keys is this. Lead us not into temptation. It is Yahweh God who will either lead you into temptation or not. So imagine the irony of God leading you into temptation and you submitting to it. Knowing that God sent it. You think he doesn't know? Do you think that you can blame Satan? Well, it simply doesn't work that way. He gives the parable of the desperate man, the boldness of God's friend. He tells you the certainty of answered prayer. For example, he says, Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asks, receives. And he that seeks, finds. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Two points I want you to understand. Christ doesn't say he's standing at the door of your heart knocking. <laughs> no, he doesn't. He also doesn't say anything you ask for will be given you. He says you cannot receive anything unless you first ask. You cannot understand anything unless you're first seeking wisdom. Once again, that's the teaching of what he said. Leave it to man to come along and say, Hey, you know what? I prayed to God that he'd give me a brand new Porsche. Never came. Therefore, there is no God. So a polite way of saying this is, Ask in accordance with God's law and you'll receive. Seek understanding and or wisdom from the word of God, just like the first chapter of Proverbs says, and you'll receive it. And you have to knock in order for it to be opened. That grace isn't extended unless you require it. Now you can live your entire life and not care the truth will be brought to you, but not necessarily the grace. Truth is something that each and every one of us can either reject when it's brought to us, accept, or just kind of set in the middle fence on. But grace is unmerited favor. And grace only is bestowed to them that seek it. Point being, if you've sinned, repent. Don't think that you're going to go in habitual sin. Like the priest, like the Levite. It was sinful for them to walk past the Israelite and not have any concern for him whatsoever. But I assure you, by the time they got to Jericho or Jerusalem, they justified it within themselves. Probably, most likely saying, well, he got robbed by Samaritans, he deserved it. Silly oil driller, silly coal burner. But it doesn't work that way, you don't judge. Christ also teaches this, the sign of Jonah, and he denounces the Jews, right here. In St. Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 31, he says, The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with the men of this genios, and or race, or generation, and condemn them. For she came from the utmost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Not only that, he goes into this in the next verse, 32. The men of Nineveh shall rise up in judgment with this generation. They shall condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, a greater than Jonah is here. Indeed, it was Jonah who spent three days within the belly of the whale, that signified a coming Redeemer. He was a type of Christ, because it would have been Yahshua Messiah who spent three days in the bowels of the earth before he was freed. But when it's all said and done, Nineveh, that town that was so wicked, 
And in other Gospels, Christ would say, even the residents of Sodom and Gomorrah will rise up and condemn this faithless generation. Not the generation there in 30 AD, but the generation or race of the people that reject Jesus Christ and still do it today. It's easy to see inconsistencies and errors in other men, women, and children, dear kinsfolk. It's harder to see them within yourself. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. Jonah cared less. He was a reluctant prophet, but he was forced through the moving of Yahweh God to go and repent. And the Ninevites were grateful for it. Now here's Christ willfully coming into Jerusalem and laying down his life, and no one cared. No one was grateful, at least at the point he did it. In fact, most of them would have said, he's a charlatan, he's a false prophet, and they did. The Pharisees came in and said, you cast out demons with the power of Satan. And so many worse things. So don't make the same mistake. Know that we will be judged if we deny, if we accept, if we obey, then we're appointed heirs of the kingdom. Then we are the sons of God. He can work within us. And He can make His will manifest to us. But as it stands, we're at about 35 minutes already. So I really want to wrap it up. (laughs) Maybe I'll bring a second part to this one as well. But what I want to do really before the end of the year, and I only have two more time slots, one after today, is to wrap it up. So I gave you, in Lessons from Luke, an overview of Luke himself. Then, an overview of the birth of Christ, which is very applicable, (laughs) or apropos, I could say, in this day and age. Right now, especially in December, where Christmas is less than a week away. I also gave you a more in-depth, albeit it was quite short, sermon, look into the youth of Jesus Christ using the Gnostic text. Today, I want to deal with the life And the final sermon of this year is going to deal with the death of Jesus Christ and what that represents. So that should be up and it should be posted before New Year's Day 2015. But Christ pretty much wraps up the girth of Luke's special section beginning in chapter 12, verse 1. In the meantime... When there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch as they trode one upon another, he began to say to his disciples first of all, Beware ye the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Leaven is a polite way of saying yeast. Yeast causes things to expand. Yahshua Messiah is telling you to beware Or, be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees. It would have been the leaven of the Pharisees that caused the Levite and the priest to not tend to the Israelite. How can I say that? Because it was the law of Moses. The law of God. It wasn't a new way that Christ taught, saying, hey, do good to your neighbor. He didn't bring anything new. Although he did bring a few new commandments, but he didn't bring a new way. And that way that Christ brought was not contradictory to the way that was outlined and laid down all the way during the Exodus and the law that was handed down by Christ himself on Mount Sinai. Because after all, Emmanuel means what? God with us. Christ here says, be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So we could say this. Hypocrisy expands. You can be a hypocrite and say, you know what, Uh, I'm going to preach one thing and do the other. But 
it will also expand. Therefore, you will also be the same type of person who's going to recreate God in your own image and say, God's just a hypocrite just like me. Why? It's leaven. It expands. And you'll see whole congregations of people like this in our land today. You can go into their church and they'll preach John 3.16. They'll preach tons of little things, verse here and there, from the epistles. And when it's all done, and they sew their little patchwork quilt together, suddenly, the entire congregation is following a God that's not even resemblant of the Scripture. Not even the Christ of the Bible. Why? Because they're hypocrites. They'll come in and they'll say, hey, you know what, I want to throw 20 bucks in the hopper so I can send Bibles to Nigeria like Ted Wyland, but I don't care about a white beaten down Israelite on the way to Jericho. Doesn't matter. Well, don't you do the same thing. Beware of that leaven of the Pharisees. Understand also, he uses the terminology leaven. Leaven means the false doctrines of the Pharisees, which were more interpretations, or as Christ would say, the traditions of men. The same traditions of men that make null the word of God. He also says this, For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. And understand this, I've taught this forever, and I want you to understand this concept. He's not talking about in heaven. He's not talking about at the judgment seat. He's talking about in general. You live your life as a debaucherous bastard like Charles Darwin. Don't be surprised that on your deathbed you repent and are a Christian. Also, don't be surprised that if you live your life in evil, when you're older, before you leave this earth, the last 10 or 20 years of it, you see your entire house of cards crumble. We reap what we sow. If you do not follow God's law, then how can He work within you? How can He bless you? If you do not abstain from the leaven of the Pharisees, then you are a hypocrite. Why? There's nothing covered that shall not be revealed. Here, now, as you live. Neither hid that shall not be known. And so it stands. When I was growing up in the late 70s, early 80s, you know, there were a lot of lies out there. But we live in an information era now where it's much harder and you are more accountable for what lie you accept as truth. Why? Because there's so much wisdom out there. Seek and ye shall find. Ask and you shall receive. But if you sit back on your haunches, watch television every night and simply don't care, then don't be surprised if you end up in judgment like Esau, whom Yahweh God hated, for despising the very birthright. Therefore, whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which ye have spoken in the ear, in closets, shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. What's he saying there? He's saying, even if you leaned over to your best friend, and very quietly whispered within his ear a lie, an untruth, some slander or defamation, it's going to come to light. So it's best that you get right with God. How can I say that? If the Levite was right with God, he wouldn't have crossed to the other side. He would have went over there and he would have helped the Israelite who was in a bloody pulp, mangled on the side of the road. If the priest would have been right with God, he would have known, here I am, I'm held to a higher standard. I'm preaching the law of God. But yet he didn't practice what he preached. Well, That's what each and every one of us are called to do in this day and age. Well, it looks like we really only covered about half of Luke's editions. 
But for the most part, I covered the one I really wanted you to understand, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Another such teaching that is found within the Gospel of Luke and nowhere else would be the prodigal son. A few key points about that would be that the prodigal son was grown when he took his inheritance. He was grown when he returned. He was also accepted by his father. His father didn't hold a grudge. His father didn't say, well, he was out there enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season. He blew his inheritance. Now he's not welcome back at the camp. The teaching behind that is much like it is the parable of the Samaritan. And that is this. Do it. Don't talk it. Now, I want you to quickly understand something else about Luke's special editions. I told you that they begin in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, and they actually end in Luke chapter 19, verse 27. So, for sake of time, this Sunday morning, we're going to skip over to Luke chapter 19, and we're going to go to right there, round about verse 27. Because this is something that you hear CI teach time and time again. And I want you to take it in context. In context, Christ is teaching the parable of the unjust steward. And he says this. Skip to verse 15 of St. Luke 19. And it came to pass that when he was returned, this is the steward or the owner of the house, having received the kingdom. Key word, he received the kingdom in the process. This is Jesus Christ returning to sit at the right hand of Yahweh God. Becoming a king in the process, because after all, a kingdom is only a king over his dominion. Then he commanded these servants to be called unto him, to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Well, here's a concept of usury, which is forbidden in the word of God. The parable pertains to an unjust steward. Not only that, about the kingdom being postponed. Will it be? Well, let's keep reading. Then came the first servant, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in very little, have authority over ten cities. Ten cities in what? In that same kingdom that he received, as the steward had went and returned. Then the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. Well, he didn't make as much as the first, made about half as much. What does the steward say? He said likewise to him, Be thou over five cities. Since you increase five times, you get five cities. The first slave, he received ten. He got ten pounds. So, he received ten cities. Verse 20 of St. Luke 19. Another came, saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee, because thou art an asture man. Thou takest up that thou layest not down and reapest that which thou didst not sow. Does that sound like Yahweh God? Does God reap what he doesn't sow? Does God steal? Does he take up what he doesn't lay down? Does he reap what he did not sow? Well, (laughs) doesn't sound like Yahweh God very much to me. Sounds like an unjust steward, just like the parable's about. Verse 22. He, the steward, saith unto him, Of thine own mouth I will judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was in a store man, taking up that I laid not down, and reaping that I did not sow. Key, right there. Not Yahweh God, but an evil, wicked, unjust steward. Wherefore, then, gavest not thou my money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required my own with usury. 
Huh, does that sound like Yahweh God who commands that usury be forbidden throughout all the land? Doesn't sound like God to me. Wherefore, then, gavest not thou my money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury? And he said to them that stood by, Take from him the pound, and give it to him that hath the ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. For I say unto you, that unto every one which hath shall be given. And from him that hath not, even that which he hath shall be taken away from him. Does that sound like Yahweh God? Eh, not one bit. And finally, the very final verse of Luke's special edition. And that is this, verse 27. Those mine enemies which would not that I should reign over them, bring them hither and slay them before me. <laughs> Indeed, hey, after all, it's red letters, is it not? If you have a red letter edition, you could take that one verse like many men do in Christian identity and say Jesus Christ wants to kill anybody who does not accept him. However, in context, I believe you were able to see that the unjust steward was not God. The unjust steward was just that, unjust, wicked, evil, desiring money and increase through usury. And when it was all said and done, the one man who said, I took that pearl a great price and didn't spend it, he said, kill him, put him to death. So if anything, this Sunday morning pertaining to the life of Christ that I was able to teach you, I hope it's that. That Luke 19.27, and God knows I've preached this myself over the last 20-something years, time and time again, isn't necessarily the thought and the intent of Yahweh God. No more than that Levite or that priest who walked on the other side of the road reflected the thoughts or the intents of Yahweh God either. So, when somebody comes to you and they tell you, hey, Jesus Christ says in Luke chapter 19, verse 27, that he wants anybody who doesn't believe in him to be put to death, simply tell them to read the entire parable of the unjust steward in context. Now, if you want to hear this exact teaching about the unjust steward taught in depth, then I will invite you to listen to part 58 and also... Part 59, it was preached probably around August of this year, 2014. So, I didn't really get to touch on a lot of the things that I wanted to. So once again, maybe I'll be able to bring a second part to this in the future. But as it stands here in Brooks, our plans are to completely go away from Luke after next Sunday's sermon, dealing with the death of Jesus Christ. So, What's coming up for next year? What's on the table for 2015, you're asking? Well, lots of good things. I'll still be co-hosting with Dr. James P. Wickstrom. I have a new co-host in the works that may or may not do a weekly with me. We're also planning on doing at least probably a bi-monthly live program on the Talk Shoe Radio Network where people can call in and they can ask their questions. <laughs> Especially those ones pertaining to my so-called brother and my wife and my pedigree and all the lies that the ADL and the Southern Poverty Law Center love inventing and creating about yours truly. If I wasn't a threat, they would leave me alone. But when it's all said and done, dear kinsfolk, it doesn't matter. Christ taught this. That a true shepherd will leave the 99 sheep to go after the one. 
And so it stands in this ministry. As long as I have one listener, one supporter, the teachings will continue. The moment they stop, so do I. And so until next time, dear kinsfolk, this is Pastor Visser once again from the Covenant People's Church located in beautiful downtown Brooks, Georgia, 30205, wishing you and yours great studies, war for Christ. Amen. Covenant People's Ministry! Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you have enjoyed studying with us. Remember the words that Christ has given. That wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. We hope that you will gather together with us at the online ministry's website, which is covenantpeoplesministry.com, and share your Christian testimonies or ask questions and enjoy biblical fellowship. You can also order CDs of Pastor Visser's Bible Studies and enjoy many other Christian resources through the church's website or write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. We thank you for your prayers and offerings and pray that all of you have been touched by these messages and continue to spread the word of the gospel with your friends and family. Thanks again and may the love of Christ abide in you and yours forever and ever. Amen.